0: Section forty of Paved with Gold. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Mason. Paved with Gold by Augustus Mayhew. Chapter seven of Book the Third The Road to Ruin. In which we blush for the captain. When a man of thirty, Captain Crosier was thirty-one, falls in love, he is as thoroughly lost as if he had fallen over Shakespeare's cliff. The heart of a man of thirty is tough and solid, it has changed from clay to brick, hard-baked by experience. It chips, and the marks remain. What a boy of eighteen calls a heart is a soft yielding mass to be dented and impressed by the merest squeeze of the hand or slightest pressure of the foot youthfulness wraps it up and keeps it ever plastic as the wet cloths about a sculptor's model a little water a few tears just to soften the clay and the last image may be obliterated and the clay ready for a new face a boy's love is as the flame of a spirit-lamp lighted in a moment blown out in a moment giving little light and burnt out quickly a man's love is a house on fire difficult to kindle but when it does rage not all the fire-engines of philosophy nor all the manes and plugs of resolution can conquer the blaze it will roar and crackle until the house gives way and dust is returned to dust and ashes to ashes that captain crosier was in love was as certain as that london is in middlesex and that his love was dishonourable and mean is as positive as that the aforesaid london was not built in a day he was almost ashamed that bertha should have obtained such power over him not an hour passed without his asking himself some twenty times whether he really loved the girl he endeavoured to persuade himself that his affection was a mere caprice a stupid whim which if he chose he could get rid of as easily as he jerked off a slipper if he found himself growing too sentimental he summoned to his aid his stronger and coarser nature and to conquer his weakness would abuse the girl calling her a housemaid and a drudge at ten pounds a year he found great temporary relief in assuming a disgust towards himself for not flying at a higher game he liked to persuade himself he was making a great sacrifice in loving Bertha. He could mention 30 young ladies who would be only too glad to change places with this hesitating housemaid. Some of these young ladies could sing, play the piano, speak French and that sort of thing. All Bertha could do was to look pretty and mend linen. Besides, she wasn't grateful. How do we know that Captain Crozier was in love? did he like sir proteus go ungartered no he wore socks and required no garters did he wreathe his arms like a malcontent no they usually hung down straight and limp as bell ropes for he was an idle man and of little energy did he relish a love song if an organ played still so gently beneath his windows he swore at it did he sigh frequently only after long draughts from the tankard of bitter ale he was beyond all poetic tests for he was of a gross nature and unless moved by drink but little addicted to sentiment in describing his sufferings for he did suffer it would be absurd to waste any flowers of speech most decidedly this long-legged officer could not be likened to a captive bird struggling for liberty and beating its pretty bosom against its cruel cage as bertha might fantastically be styled we would not even typify the mustachioed swain as a wretched dog whining to be freed of its chain and vainly trying to force its head through its relentless collar another allusion to the cruel maid we much prefer in matter of fact parlance to state that since his mind had been spurred into briskness by bertha's piercing eyes and whipped into gentle exercise by her long lashes ever since he had had something to think about besides prize-fights horse-races and rat-killing his body had become more and more listless and torpid as if his organization did not contain energy enough to keep both muscle and brain working he lay from morning till night upon the sofa motionless as a bundle his cigar went out twenty times before he had finished smoking it he looked more as if he were thinking of suicide than love as though he were reflecting on razors and prussic acid instead of on Bertha and a cottage near a wood. Sometimes his reflections became so painful that he was forced to relieve himself with a whistling accompaniment. Whenever he despaired of success, he whistled. Whenever it struck him, the girl might in time become a nuisance, and he wished to get rid of her, he whistled. If he pondered over the guilt and wickedness of such an abandonment, and reflected on the harsh view the world would take of his dishonourable conduct he whistled the sadder the thought the lower the whistle sometimes it was not louder than the wind rushing through a keyhole this seductive young officer had all the inclination to become a villain but he lacked the courage and perhaps the ability he was very much afraid of the world to make a good rogue a man should be nine-tenths a genius he must be a skilful diplomat know how to plot and dare to execute not caring the value of a bad egg what his neighbours may say could crosier read thoughts in the glance of an eye he could scarcely read them when in good bold print had he strength of mind weak as a bonnet-wire could he adhere steadfastly to one purpose he was blown away as easily as flew from polished marble as for the world's opinion the criticism of a street boy distressed him he discontinued wearing a white hat in consequence of a rude observation delivered by a vulgar lad of twelve this seductive young officer was a weak timid man who if he did an evil action one moment repented of it the next although he had animal courage enough to stand all the warlike tests of an active military life he was not bold enough to resist the temptations which beset the idle life of a soldier in time of peace his great ambition was to render himself worthy by different excesses of the friendship of such dashing blades, as Tom Oxenden or Charlie Sutton. Had he stopped at home instead of entering the army, Crozier would most probably have taken to gentler pleasures, and felt delight in the pleasant pastimes of Sunday school teaching and keeping tame rabbits. He would have turned religious, not from any inward conviction, but to gain the esteem of the old ladies in the neighbourhood he had a half suspicion that his noble brother officers looked down upon him for being the son of a banker it was excessively mortifying to his pride to hear a banker called a tradesman to counteract these annoying prejudices he did all he could to convince his gallant friends that he was a reckless clever dog ever ready for any roguery however desperate and dangerous it might be to earn their good opinion he drank two glasses for their one and although his income was infinitely less he spent as much money as they did it was to gain their esteem more than to satisfy his own desires that he had first laid siege to bertha if lord oakes or viscount ascot had when he entered on this amatory campaign spoken one disparaging word bertha would have been left in peace to oblige a nobleman crosier would make any sacrifice he always considered that england's hope was its aristocracy there are some men who only admire a woman because others are captivated by her on the day when bertha was seen stitching at her window the captain was rather astonished that his friend should have thought her so beautiful he had seen her many times before and looked upon her as a pretty badly dressed thing but it was not until his fashionable companions dilated upon her beauties that he felt any violent affection for her their praises had served to trim the wick and turn up the cotton of his flame his love began with envy because she lived in a house facing his apartments he considered her as his property and it delighted him to think that anything he possessed should be envied by his set there was a time as we have said when one drop of cold water applied by the noble lord of viscount would have completely extinguished the little love-spark that ran about the tinder of Crosier's bosom but now that time was gone by it was too late his heart like a hayrick stacked when damp, was heated and smouldering, and if the entire blue book had cast their buckets full of freezing reproofs at the ardent swain, it would not have cooled his love. He thought of Bertha at all times and all places, whilst shaving or pulling on his boots, when in cabs or taverns, even whilst his hair was being cut the soothing sensation of having his locks played with called up especially tender thoughts he entered jewellers' shops to ask the price of brooches bracelets and earrings thinking only of bertha if his love was not equal to the sacrifice of the ten or twenty guineas asked it was only because his success was as yet doubtful and the speculation too heavy because he saw some resemblance to Bertha's eyes in a 30-shilling print he bought it and ordered a costly frame it was a foreign production with the title in three languages the english one being the return of the dances it represented a well-proportioned young lady risking a severe cold by reposing herself en déshabillé after the fatigues of an evening party do not imagine that it was on account of the value of this print or because it was an elegant piece of furniture that the captain had it so expensively framed for he treated with equal honour a common shilling lithograph entitled a glass of gin young man and that solely because the mouth and chin of the barmaid represented were of a similar shape to those in the possession of his beloved bertha when in answer to his question the stationer who sold this shilling lithograph told him it had been much admired and uncommonly successful he felt a thrill of delight play about the third button of his waistcoat that the entire british public should have the same taste as himself and patronise a face bearing such a resemblance to his adored one occasionally of an afternoon when he felt very lonely and yet not inclined to sleep, Crozier would take up a book and stumble through a page or two. He would mark in pencil any sentimental passage that struck him as being particularly tender. Formerly he used to skip what he called twaddle. Now he felt great relief in reading the amiable sufferings so like what he experienced he entered with a sympathising spirit into the descriptions of the lover's trials and would even utter a pitying poor devil if the agony was very great whilst reading in this way he would long for bertha to be by his side that her sighs might mingle with his own over the harrowing portions or her prima donna laugh be joined to his basso profundo chuckle at the comic passages when she is melancholy he would mutter she does so look thundering handsome though she's just as rattling when she laughs he often said she had a prettier smile than any woman he ever knew and his acquaintance was very extensive it did him good to catch sight of those faultless white teeth with a little dot of light sparkling on the bright enamel at such times he felt a weight in his chest from excess of admiration similar to that caused by a slight indigestion but more gratifying the most peculiar effect produced upon the captain by his loving condition was that it was gradually purifying his mind and cleansing from it its thick outer crust of grossness the midnight haunts began to disgust him late hours made him feel sleepy and even drink lost many of its charms for him for at a second glass he would feel slightly intoxicated he no longer cared to stare at women his ogle lost all its winning piquancy and he could no longer smile as he was wont to smile if an elegantly dressed lady passed he might look at her dress but he cared nothing for her face where could he see anyone lovelier than bertha after he had examined her toilette he invariably thought what an assistance's ilks and ribands were to the female form and how overpoweringly resplendent his bertha would be if she had such advantages to assist her once it was in curzon street he stood still for ten minutes gazing after a well-arranged shawl and all the time he was admiring the neatly adjusted folds on the shoulder and the admirable manner in which the cashmere was pulled in at the waist to make it fit smoothly on the back and give it a bell-like sweep as it rose over the skirts he was saying to himself that's art not nature that woman has been i know hours arranging her shawl but with bertha it would have been the work of a minute if she were to fling a shawl on her it would look fifty times better she has the most exquisitely proportioned figure the roundest best modelled prettiest formed and etc 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 for were we to give at full length all the captain's praises we should require at least one entire page it would have been a great relief to this loving man if he had been blessed with an intimate friend to whom he could have confided the emotions which filled his mind. No doubt this intimate friend would have been bored to death, and have many times wished that either the lover or the loved one would depart this world. You can understand that after having publicly announced he was tired of the girl, and even offering to sell his share and interest in her for a pound of cigars, he could not with decency pour his love-wailings into the ears of tom oxenden or any of that set it was a relief to him when alone in his room to address even the chairs or tables and declare to these chattels how great was his affection for the incomparable bertha frequently whilst dressing of a morning he would rehearse to himself all the speeches he would make to the little girl the next time he saw her and carried away by his fancy would utter them aloud giving the words with great feeling and action flourishing his razor about whilst his chin was covered with a smooth coating of suds most unromantic to behold if any one during these monologues happened to knock at the door the captain's reason returned in an instant and half ashamed of such childish conduct he would endeavour to turn the vehement declaration of love into a badly hummed opera air in the hopes of impressing the intruder with the belief that he was not half crazed with love but only very fond of music then again how many witty things did bertha utter during his interviews with her all of which spoken dear girl as if she were quite unconscious of their merit were lost to the world because he knew nobody to whom he dare repeat them there was that observation of hers on tea made by her the last time she presided at the tray how clever it was how true what a knowledge of human nature it evinced he had asked her in a pleasant joking manner why ladies whilst drinking tea talked so wickedly of one another she had answered, laughing most divinely. Because ladies seldom drank tea till dusk, and that was scandal. Candle. Time. He swore she meant it. He called it true wit. He sent it to a comic paper of the day, arranged as a conundrum. But he knew no one to whom he could rush off in a cab and relate the wonderful mot. He felt as if he were being cheated out of the praises to which he was entitled, for giving his affection to a lady of such wit and perception. Our opinion is that Bertha did not mean to be funny, and did not even attempt it. It was the captain who made the pun, not she, poor innocent girl. Despite an excellent education, the captain found great difficulty in writing even a letter he disguised a great quantity of bad spelling under a scrawling style of penmanship so that a dash in the middle of a word would pass for one or more m's or n's as the necessities of the english language might require he however so potent is love purchased an elegant memorandum-book in which he penned down the excellent things wherewith bertha at different times favoured him his desk Contained this precious volume. Every maxim and sentence in it he declared to be excellent, saying, If they aren't witty, which I think they are, they are sure to be damned sensible, and that's something. The first entry was to this effect How wretched it must be to be without a friend. It is the heart's exile. To the end of this apothegm, the adoring crosier had written the words. True by Jove, and poetical, too. M.C. Another line ran as follows. Soldiers and sailors are never friendly because fire and water cannot agree. This time the captain's remark was more vigorous. He wrote, Thundering hard, but by blazes she's right. M.C. M.C. The forcible language used by the military annotator may be accounted for by stating that the gallant gentleman usually entered his souvenirs of the evening's conversation on his return home, an event for which there was no fixed hour. The later the return, the greater strength he threw into his commentary. End of section 40.